If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 61 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk with Maddie Grant, who is a longtime presence in the association community and really a true thought leader when it comes to social media and more recently to organizational culture. Before we do that, though, we want to be sure to thank your membership, which is the sponsor of our Trends and Forecast webinar earlier this month, is also the sponsor for this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. Now, Salisa, we've, we've both known Maddie Grant for a long time. I mean, I think of her as one of the, the geniuses behind Social Fish, uh, which has been a, a presence in the association world for so long now, socialfish.org. She was one of the people who really started thinking about social media and how that impacted associations very early on. But then I know more recently, you know, she, along with Jamie Nodder, uh, has directed her work towards uh, the millennials and towards organizational culture. And if I'm uh, correct, that's that's kind of the focus of the conversation you had with her. Yeah, definitely. We talked mostly about organizational culture because it really, I think it rolls up a lot of what her past work and experience has, has been in. You know, she uh, has been very active in social media from the very get-go, but what she sees is that social media is really um, an outgrowth of just our need to be very human and that uh, organizations have gotten very mechanical and they've, they're have they these systems, whereas what she and Jamie see and write about is that they really should be more ecosystems. They should be more human. And so that's what they're focusing on at WorkXO. That's what she and I talked about. And of course, since it's the Leading Learning Podcast, we talk about the, the role of learning in organizational culture as well. Well, I know that uh, the role of learning in organizational culture and then organizational culture as, you know, part of driving uh, those organizations to successfully then be able to reach out, um, run productive, effective learning businesses, also very important. In any case, I'm really looking forward to hearing the conversation with Maddie. So let's go ahead and roll it. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast, and today I'm joined by Maddie Grant. Maddie is an expert digital strategist, a consultant, and an author. You might know her from her focus on organizational culture at WorkXO, or as uh, the editor of the Social Fish blog, or as the author of of books that she's co-authored, Humanize and When Millennials Take Over. Maddie, thank you for taking time to talk with me today. Thank you for having me. And so to start off, since I know you follow a range of interests and, and projects, I want to give you a chance to say a little bit more about yourself and your work and, and what you're up to these days. Yeah, so my background is is actually in digital strategy and social media. And when I first started uh, working and speaking and presenting with uh, one of my business partners, Jamie Natter, um, whose background is in generational diversity, uh, and organizational development, we started to realize that a lot of our work was uh, really based around culture change. So we got very, very interested in this whole idea of the future of work and the trends that were shaping the business world today. 
Um, and so wrote a couple of books about that. And, uh, and here we are now. We've just launched um, about a year ago our current uh, company called WorkXO, which really is all about helping growth-oriented organizations kind of activate their culture. Uh, so we're very we're very um, positive in the in the philosophy that culture is the basis of true uh, human potential and and growth. Well, so you know, you mentioned yourself that you're very active on social media. You have been for for many years, and yet, you know, one of the things you guys emphasize and, and humanize is that really the rise of social media in and of itself is not particularly important. Maybe it's impressive because of its uh, rocketing growth, but it's not inherently important. So what what is important? What's the story behind the growth of social media? Yeah, so there's there were some really interesting things that we discovered in our work um, around helping organizations with social media is that on the one hand, there's big philosophical trends um, kind of shaping the digital world that we're in now um, around the democratization of information. So the idea, and of course, as you know, we work, we've worked with a lot of associations and nonprofits. So the idea that the institution um, in this digital reality, the institution is not necessarily needed anymore. You can get information through the internet um, without having to go through, you know, being a part of an association to get that trusted information or part of a, you know, reading newspapers. You know, there's many industries, of course, that have been disrupted by social media in that way, kind of opening the doors and windows to all of the goodies behind them um, and really giving people access to information and information is power. So the other side of that coin is people being able to build their own networks, their own audiences, their own channels, their own places to have um, create content and build community um, without those traditional institutions kind of getting in the way of that. Well, and so, you know, you, you talked about it a little bit there in terms of kind of social media in a way, it's kind of it's, it's threat to associations, you know, that have these organizations that have historically sort of hung their hat on being the connector, the facilitator of, of like-minded people coming together. Um, we talk a little bit more about kind of that implication that, that this, what social media and that kind of revolution ha- has meant and is meaning for associations. Yeah, so what's really interesting is that part of the big lesson of social media is that this is something that's constantly in evolution and constantly changing. So in the context of associations, you know, back when we started um, working with uh, social media strategy, there was a really huge fear of what of what the impact would be of social media because if people can get together um, in communities online and don't need an association to do that, then, you know, why do they need the association, right? Um, and, and that has definitely had impacts over the years. And associations have had to kind of scramble to make sure that they are providing value for people, um, even given the, the idea that they can create their own networks um, around particular industries, for example. Um, but now the social media um, field, I guess if you want to call it that, is is more mature. And so there's a lot of new um, information and content and skills and tactics related to marketing and communications and advertising, of course, 
you know, these are all growing industries. So it's created um, a, a lot new uh, new job descriptions and and roles in that sense. Um, but there's also a new part that associations can play in the sense that that now that there's so much information online, like information overload, um, and everybody's throwing out content all over the place, it means that associations actually have a new role to play as a filter. Mm. So, you know, before they created walls that people wanted to break down, but now, you know, maybe 10 years later, people are actually very desperate for new walls to kind of help filter that information. Like, isn't that interesting, right? So so there is definitely a place for associations in the convening and the filtering and the um, ability to help kind of channel some of this free-flowing information out there. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I know I certainly feel overwhelmed most days in terms of the amount of information that I'm trying to absorb. So having yeah. <laughs> that reliable filter would be, yeah, that's absolutely essential. Um, you know, one of the things that y- you offer is a, is a framework for helping organizations to become more human-centric. So will you talk a little bit about that framework and, and, and how that plays out within an organization? Yeah, so um, actually what's interesting is we, in 2011, we wrote our first book, uh, Jamie and I, together called Humanize. Um, And in that book, we explored how social media was changing management and leadership, not just marketing and communications. So social media was kind of shining, shining a light on a whole bunch of different changes that were happening where organizations needed to become more open, more trustworthy, more decentralized, more experimental, more authentic, um, you know, more collaborative, just a whole bunch of these different things that are actually, once you start looking at it, are actually not about communications and social media at all. They are about internal structures and and organizational culture. Um, And so we discovered and wrote about the idea that we were existing in a traditional mechanical system of of management that's been in existence for 100 years. And social media was kind of forcing the system to, to break apart a little bit and become what we called more human, more, more, um, more of an ecosystem than a system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then over the years, so a couple of years later, uh, in 2015, we wrote When Millennials Take Over. And the impetus for that was actually a lot of these same ideas are, are still happening, um, but there's a huge catalyst for them, which is the millennial generation whose oldest, um, the oldest millennials are in their early 30s, so they're no longer kids these days, and they're coming into management positions. So they're not just coming into the workforce, they're actually already the largest generation in the workforce, and they're they're becoming managers. And as managers, they can start to change things in a way that makes much more sense to them and the way they've grown up in this kind of digital reality. So again, a lot of those changes start to become um, really, really culture focused. And so in, in that book, we identified um, four different uh, key capacities, um, which are digital, clear, fluid, and fast, which are ways that ways of working that make sense to millennials based on the context in which they grew up. 
Um, but there are also ways in which organizations who've been around a while can kind of shift and be more aligned with the future of work, basically. You know, I, there's obviously been a lot of talk about millennials, you guys driving a, a lot of it, but so I'm just curious around kind of the, what you see as the inherent benefits and dangers of sort of talking about, you know, a whole generation broadly. Yeah, so it's, it, it's interesting. We, we actually get this kind of question a lot, and generational theory um, is about trends across millions of people. It, it is actually never about individuals. So that's one thing. So, you know, you are either like your generation or not like your generation. <laughs> um, but there are certain identifiers that describe a particular generation based on um, cultural things that happened as they were coming of age. That's basically the theory behind generations. And that, those, um, those attributes... Um, can help to understand how they think about certain things, um, and especially in in our context, you know how they think about um, the workplace and how they want to interact in the workplace. And of course, uh, you know, and a very obvious example is they've grown up with the social internet, um, and the youngest millennials don't remember a time before before Google, mm. you know, so <laughs> Jamie likes to tell this funny story about how for us um, Gen Xers and boomers, like we still think it's kind of awesome that when you type into Google, you know, it knows what you are searching <laughs> for before you even finish. Like we still think that's cool. Right. right. But millennials, to millennials, that's just, it's the way it's always been. It's not cool to them. It's just completely normal. Um, so that's one example of how they come into the workplace and they just expect access to, to all the information that they need. Um, but they come into traditional systems where there's all kinds of barriers to that information and that access and that context. Um, and they find it really difficult to work in that kind of environment, but it, it plays out as a way to as a, a discourse of complaining about how they don't get it, they don't respect authority, they, you know, they're always looking to, to break the rules, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, and we really believe that really understanding some of this generational context um, can unlock the value of all working together because we're, we're going to be two or three generations working together for a very long time. Um, but I think our our styles are so different that we need to help create that understanding of where everybody is coming from. And it goes both ways, of course. You know, older older generations have built our organizations, and there's a lot to protect and respect and value there. We don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater either, <laughs> you know. Right, right. Well, and, and so maybe this is a good place to ask a question, which maybe arguably I should have asked even earlier. But, you know, as we're talking about kind of having the multiple generations all working together within the same organization, I mean, that then gives rise to sort of a discussion around, okay, well, what is the organizational culture? And so because that is something you talk about a lot, you know, yeah. I'd like to ask what that is, because my sense is that it's a term that folks sort of say and talk about, but I'm not always sure they mean the same thing by it. So I would love to hear how you define organizational culture. Absolutely. Yeah, we actually make a, a very strong point of of having a definition that we stick to, um, because, you know, everybody defines it differently. 
So for us, um, organizational culture is the words, actions, thoughts, and stuff that clearly define what is valued in an organization. So what that means is um, words, words and actions, you know, what we say about our culture, like what's it like to work there, you know, the words that you use to describe your workplace. Um, actions is, is you know, what you see when you walk into a, a, an office, for example. Um, thoughts is kind of assumptions around that. So sometimes those things are aligned with, with the thoughts and assumptions, and other times there are assumptions going on that may be different than, you know, the, the core values that you say, right? Um, and then the stuff is everything tangible, everything else. And I know that's a super scientific word. <laughs> um, but things like your dress code, your actual office space, um, your hours that you're open, whether people are, you know, telework or not, you know, all of that kind of tangible stuff is, of course, part of your culture as well. Um, and then the, the most important part is the second part of the definition, which is about what's valued. So it's not just the values that might be on the wall, which are usually things that nobody can disagree with, <laughs> like collaboration and excellence and customer service and whatever, right? Right. Um, so, but what's truly valued is what creates environments where things like well, like Wells Fargo can happen, right? Mm. So in, in that context, they may have said, in fact, they do. They have, they have core values on their website. Uh, but, the, but the actual work that was valued was making their numbers, was this really aggressive sales process, you know, which caused a situation where they created all these fake accounts, right? So, so the valued part is, is very, very important and can be very different than what you see. Well, and because, so now that we have that kind of definition of organizational culture in mind, and because this is the Leading Learning Podcast, I I would love to hear your thoughts on the role that learning plays in organizational culture. And I know you at least touch on this in Humanize, because when you talk about the the courageous uh, trait or element. I know that you mentioned learning at at the level of culture. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that or any other way that you sort of see the intersection of of learning uh, with organizational culture. Yeah, so learning is is huge for us. Um, It's actually very much part of um, many of the different cultural markers that we measure in the... um, and what we call the workplace genome is our own cultural assessment. Um, but learning is part, it's, it's an underlying piece of several different really important culture markers. So, for example, um, innovation. Um, you can't have innovation without an openness and a curiosity and, and a process for bringing in new ideas, right? That's what it's all about. Right. Um, also, uh, one of our markers is growth, which is related to actually personal development. So again, of course, learning is very directly involved in that. And it's not just learning new skills within your box, so to speak, within your role, but potentially the ability to learn other skills and grow and, and make your own path within an organization. Um, and then learning is also around the idea of being able to continuously improve. So this is part of the, the digital mindset. One of the things that, that is 
that comes out of being digital is continuous improvement, just like software is always being upgraded. There's mm-hmm. always a roadmap. Um, every single app on your phone, you know, updates itself all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So in an organization, having a learning culture is also part of that digital mindset where you're continuously improving and continuously evolving your processes and your structures and your tools and and how you do things um, in order to really keep up with your market and be more agile, you know, things like that. Uh, so, so yeah, learning comes into play in many, many ways for us. And so uh, it, it sounds like, um, I mean, learning, would it, it, to your mind, be part of how an organization could go about sh- perhaps shifting its culture or, or changing its culture or, or talk about the how how organization or culture actually can change or or can it you know over over time yeah so one of the things we actually think a lot about is how to shift or adjust or embed processes and structures that help with evolution and learning so in that sense um in order to change you want to be able to have the processes in place where it's normal to be learning all the time and changing all the time, as opposed to one huge change management process mm. and then you're done, right? Right. So it's it's all about continuous learning, and that can of course happen in a, in multiple different ways. But what we found in our research is that the most futurist organizations are those that have learning embedded into everything, embedded into staff meetings, embedded into um, opportunities to experiment with different projects, um, of course, embedded into professional development, uh, embedded even into um, relationships with customers and, um, you know, customer communities and, and that kind of thing where they get feedback on a regular basis. Uh, embedded into performance management, you know, and, and the ability to to um, to be have your own professional path tied to the growth and culture of the organization. Um, so, so all of those things require certain kinds of tools and processes to be in existence, right? You know, you're not going to talk about culture as part of your your performance review unless there are questions about right. how, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's, it's, it's very tangible, actionable stuff that connects the, the culture and specifically the culture of learning into these multiple different structures that combine to create your workplace. Yeah. And I definitely love the idea of kind of the learning everywhere and really embedding it throughout and, you know, not just in kind of one pocket of what you're doing, but in all those activities. Yeah. Yeah. So the the next to last question that I'd like to ask you, and this is one that we ask everyone on the Leading Learning Podcast, is you know here we are talking about learning. So I would love to hear about uh, your approach to your own learning. How do you keep learning and, and growing your knowledge and skills? Yeah. So I am a huge um, constant learner. <laughs> um, I actually I have sort of the opposite problem where I sign up to all kinds of different things. I I try and go to to um, lots of conferences, I I sign up to online courses. I read absolutely ridiculous amounts of <laughs> stuff um, to the point where I start a lot of things and don't finish them because mm-hmm. I, you know, I just don't have time for all the things I actually signed up with. Um, or I sign up to things and then don't show up because you know I'm too busy or whatever. So that's definitely 
my issue, but but I have a very kind of insatiable insatiable need for for continuous learning. And of course, you know, as a social media person, ultimately, deep down, you know, this is really natural to to people like me who are interested in social media and digital because the whole field is evolving all the time. So if you don't, if you're not always on top of it, then you fall behind really, really quickly. And even though I don't do direct social media stuff um, anymore, uh, obviously I'll focus on culture now, but it's, it's still that lesson has never left me that you you just always want to keep an eye on all the, the new things that are happening. Yeah, that idea of you have to be moving ahead to even keep up. Um, that's yeah. <laughs> absolutely true. Yeah. So yeah. as a final question, just if listeners want to know more about you and, and your work, where should they look to connect with you or to find out more? Yeah, so the best place is uh, workxo.com, and that's workxo, like hugs and kisses, dot <laughs> <laughs> com. Um, I'm, of course, all over social media, um, on Facebook as Maddie Grant, on Twitter as Maddie Grant as well. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for making time for this conversation today, Maddie. Thank you. This was fun. So that wraps up our interview with Maddie Grant. And as we're exiting, we want to say thanks again to your membership for being the sponsor of this episode of the podcast. And again, you can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 61. And while you're there, you will see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And we really hope that you will subscribe if you are getting value out of what you're hearing. We'd also be truly grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That'll put you in the right place. And by giving us a quick rating and review, it helps to kind of lift us up a little bit and and make sure that uh, other folks uh, who might value what we're doing are going to be able to find us. Last but not least, we hope that you'll consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can uh, pick another social network of your preference and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.